thank you for doing this. If yes. I've done my research correctly, Lose You Now is the latest single, or am I one off on that? No, that's correct. I had to like double check in my brain too. I'm like, I think so. So is that, <laughs> is that part of a larger album or project or have you officially gone to the dark side and you're a singles artist? Well, you know, that one actually, no, I've not gone to the dark side, but um, that one's actually attached kind of backwards to the last album. Um, so it's retroactively attached uh, because on my previous album, or I guess my latest album Artemis I had a song that was instrumental called Guardian and mm -hmm. then we kind of reimagined that instrumental song um had lyrics put to it and it became Lose You Now. Fair so yeah in terms of being a creative person you are unorthodox in every wonderful way possible but do you write songs one at a time or do you go album time let's write 12 15 songs? That's more how I do it. It's like, um, yeah, very much. There's a time and a place for writing. It's time. Let's dig deep. Let's go. Lock me in the studio. Ready. Um, I'm not like a real prolific writer. I feel like I'm very much so a prolific creative person. Like I love, I'm always thinking of ideas very outside the box, but um, yeah, music doesn't just like flow out of me. I have to like sit down and do it. Do you actually sit down and play to write or are you the kind of person where you're walking down the street, hear a melody in your head and that's what gets the ball rolling? Much more of the first one. I, I kind of have to sit down and like really work at it. You know, um, like I said, it doesn't just like flow out of me in that way. Um, I have to kind of focus and like really put myself in the right headspace. Um, but like if I'm thinking about show ideas or music video ideas right. those will just like come to me at the weirdest times you know eating my sandwich and all of a sudden I'm like I know how I'm going to start my show you know so that's more the style of that creativity for me fair do you always have an instrument in your hand and is it always the violin when you're writing um very rarely I've turned to the piano and like tinkered away at melodies to try to think of something that normally I wouldn't think of because mm -hmm. you know there's certain patterns that are just very go-to for me at this point in terms of my fingers naturally just want to make those patterns and so yeah when I get to an instrument that I'm not very familiar like the piano sometimes tinkering away at that will make some interesting melodies that I normally wouldn't think of or sometimes I'll put the violin down and sing melodies if I'm really stuck. Like, that's another way. It's just like, let's put her down. What's just going to naturally come out if I was singing? Yeah. I love your story. I've been aware of you for over 10 years, like most of the people have been listening to you. Now, very inspirational story, as I said here. And we know that violin came first. You want to do dance, but there's only enough money in the family budget to do violin lessons first and foremost. And you really worked hard to do all that. But I was wondering, when you were starting to think, hey, I want to be a professional musician. When in the process of all that, did the dance become a serious consideration, not just a, yeah, this is fun? You know, I feel like when I just, it, they kind of happened together. It was when I decided, because like, I think I just never quite found my voice that I felt made me feel like the violin was a hundred percent me or that I had found what I would want to share with the world because playing classical music 
um, was great for me. It made a great foundation, but I never felt like it was something that made me say, I want to share this. Like I want to go out and like, this is my voice. Um, and so that's why I never really considered being a professional musician seriously until I started writing my own music. And I realized that when I moved and played it, it was a lot more fun for me and it engaged an audience. And I just realized this is my voice with the violin. It's much quirkier. It's much, it just fit me better. And so it was kind of, it all happened at the same time. It was when I started to move around and play that I felt like alive on stage. And I was like, I have to figure out how to do this as a career because this is so exciting. And, and then I was like, oh shoot, I also have to figure out how to dance because I didn't know how to dance. Yeah, well, in terms of being a multifaceted performer, as somebody who really grew up watching MTV 120 minutes and looking for all the alternative stuff, there was a big wave in 1996 to 1999 of female violinist singer songwriters getting record deals. There was Tracy Bonham and Lily Hayden, Lisa Germano. I think I'm saying her name right. Susie Tyrell. All these people got that. Did that register on you at all as a kid or did that just coincidentally you wound up in the major world? Yeah. You know, for me, it was more, there were much more left of center violinists that I think struck my interest. And cause like, I wasn't actually as aware of all of that as like, I probably should have been like, we didn't have MTV and, you know, I didn't get exposed to that, um, that chapter of my adolescence. I lost it, unfortunately, but it was, um, artists like David Garrett, who's this German violinist who played with like a rock orchestra. Like it was the violin, it was all about the violin and he was the center and this orchestra played around him and it was like contemporary and rock. And then there was this gal named Vanessa May who she played and wore like really, she was beautiful and wore cool costumes and she would play like techno music and trance. And so those were the kind of things that made me be like, whoa, the violin can be something different. Like, whoa, she looks really cool. He looks edgy, like, hmm. And so it just kind of made me start to really think of like, what would I do with the violin if I had a stage? You know, what would my voice be? I My next thought was, did Jean-Luc Ponty influence her? But I'm gonna say no. <laughs> Did, Not did as much. I, I was aware of him later on, but he wasn't one of my like early, like, ooh, you know. Right, right. So another admirable thing about you is how open you are to collaborating with artists from all sorts of genres. I don't think I can think of anyone who has worked with Rivers Cuomo and Amy Lee. <laughs> you know, that's just fantastic. <laughs> is that something that you want to do for the rest of your career, collaborate with other artists like that? Yeah, I kind of love that the violin is such a I don't know, it can kind of meld itself into anything. And I guess, you know, I definitely have a style, but, um, you know, I've always kind of kept the, the gate pretty wide open where that style is concerned. And it's and I think it's been because that's how I started. Like on my YouTube channel, I was doing like orchestral covers of video game songs and yeah. dubstep releases of originals, you know? So it's it, the door was kind of 
pretty, pretty wide for me. Um, and I really have always enjoyed collaborating. I think, again, going back to my beginnings as a YouTuber, that was kind of my formula in the beginning is like, okay, work with lots of different artists from different genres, from different, you know, verticals. And that is how I can broaden my fan base. But not only did it broaden my fan base and help me be successful on the tubes but also i found it really fun it was almost like a challenge every time to be like how can i work with a rapper huh like what could i do on that and then like working with you know more of a country artist okay well what would how how would i be the fiddle player you know so i don't know it just made it exciting and i always like i've got this huge list of people that i admire and love and always adding to it so it's like okay i would i think i'll always love collaborations any metal artists is that on your radar at all? Hmm. My tour crew would be over the moon if I did a cover or not a cover, if I did a collaboration with a metal artist. I've got a lot of guys on my tour that are like really rooting for that. Like that, you know, some of them are like wanting me to do something with under oath and, you know, so I don't know, it might happen someday just because I, you know, I keep getting that nudge from my, my guys. Fingers crossed. Another great thing, the Upside Fund. You launched that last year. How long was that in the making for before you launched it? You know, it was kind of an unofficial thing for a while, um, where every year at Christmas, I would just make one post um, every Christmas, and I would reach out to my fans and say, hey, if you know anybody that is going through a hard time and needs help, here's the email you reach out to. And I would just do it out of like literally no tax write off, just do it out of my own pocket every year. It was very unofficial and my sister would help me run it. And it was just something I did at Christmas time. Um, and then when COVID hit, I was about to do the same thing. And I decided to make it an official thing because I am, um, when I started to reach out about that, I was going to do this. So many fans also said we would love to help and there's no way I could legally have them donate to like me to donate to other, you know, it just, so I was like, all right, I should make this official. So I love the upside fund because it's a place where people can come to request funds and they can also come if they want to give. And now I can do like my own little charity streams if I'm on Twitch and I want to, you know, like all the, actually it's kind of fun because now all the money from certain things that I do goes directly to the upside fund. Um, and it, now that it's an official fund, it just makes it much easier to be like, ah, just send all this money to that account, you know? And um, anyways, it's been really cool. It's been just so special to hear some of the stories from people and um, you know, from both sides of the perspective of people that give and people that receive. Mm -hmm. Sounds like there's no downtime for you because before you said, well, I'm not very prolific as a songwriter, but between designing your shows, the related choreography of that, the the albums, the tours in general, the nonprofit, you winding up on other people's albums, not a lot of sleep, right? Not a lot of seven to nine hour days for you? You know what? I Some people may call it a workaholic. I like to just say I just am a real, like I love what I do and I get so much joy out of doing it. Like I like to work. I love to think of ideas and, you know, I don't know. That's just very much who I am. I like to stay busy. And, you know, my family was teasing me because they're like, you had a year off. You had a year where you could have taken off Lindsay. And yet you filled your schedule with things to do. And, you know, that's, I think I'm not alone in that. I think that's just a, a disease. Some of us creative minded or like, um, you know, just really, really passionate people have. And I'm, I'm one of those for sure. <laughs> 
fair. Well, two quick questions and then you're free. And the, the first one is you worked with Jason Evigan on the Artemis album. Curious, did the topic of my two dads ever come up ever in his presence? No, is this a good, should I bring this up to him? Should I ask him? Well, his dad was a sitcom star who, uh, Greg Evigan, who's a great songwriter in his own right. And he started on this sitcom in the 80s with Paul Reiser called My Two Dads. And I didn't know if that comes up in everyday conversation, if we were going to learn you saying like, oh, yeah, I loved that show growing up or no, don't know. It. No, it never came up. You know, he was probably just being modest. <laughs> There you go. And my last question, speaking of television, do you have a recommendation or two for a show if somebody needs a new show to start? Yes. I loved Ted Lasso. Season one especially was so good. It's a must watch for everybody on Apple Plus TV. Um, you can't go wrong with New Girl. Um, first few seasons of Nashville are great, especially if you like country music. The music is so good. I mean, I've never really been a TV watcher until pandemic. I got into so many shows <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, what genre? <laughs> now I know. Those are, well, those are some of my tops. Looking forward to seeing you live in New York when the time is right and all that, but just keep up all the greatness in the meantime, Lindsay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. So leading into it, getting the housekeeping out of the way, two shows coming up in Edentown, New Jersey at, let me see if I have this right, Sun Eagles Golf Club. Not your first golf club appearance, but not many in your uh, touring history, am I right? No, you know what, and when they called me and they said it was, you know, I didn't put two and two together because they go, it's, it's comedy on the green. When they said green, they literally mean the green. Yeah. Like on a golf course. So, I mean, I'm... I'm super excited, you know, after the pandemic and you know, as things opened up for an entire year, I didn't leave the state of Texas. And, yes. you know, not only did I not leave the state of Texas, I was already not doing many dates on the East Coast. So when this date came around, I was super excited and, and I'm glad that that they believed in me because the first show was already sold out. Yeah. And, and things are awesome. And I just can't wait to go visit the East coast and do a show out there because we all need laughter. And I, if anybody got hit the hardest, it was the East coast. So I'm super happy to go out there and provide, you know, the fact that they called me unessential is not fair. I am essential. We need to laugh. For sure. Well, speaking of laughing and material and all that, you have no shortage of material given how many specials you had. And if somebody sees you, in like January of one year, January of the next year, they're going to get a different show, which is fantastic. Not every comic can you say that about. But when I speak to comics, I, I like to ask, so you have a club set, you have maybe a theater kind of set that you do, and then you have a private gig set. Do you have a golf club set in mind? I don't have a, a, a literally speaking, golf club. I, I, I don't have a, a golf club set. However, I'm also one of these very lucky comedians that, my act doesn't change. You know, I'm, I am, I always say I have strong language. It's not a dirty show. Yeah. So whether I'm doing a club, a theater, West coast, East coast, the Southwest, the South, it, it doesn't matter. My show's the same because at the end of the day, if you're married, if you are in a relationship, I am talking about, I, I always say I have more material and more material because life goes on, things change in my life. And, and I draw, 
from my everyday life. So I, I'm lucky, you know, my set's always the same. You know, I don't change things up. I am who I am. And, and I think there's a lot of people out there that can relate to what I do because they are married. They're dealing with a wife that they're frustrated with. She's dealing with a husband that, that she needs to go see. Sure. You're not alone. You know, so I'm just excited to come and bring, you know, I call it, it's like a chronicle of my life. You know, I want to bring what has happened to me in the past two years on the stage. And of course, I always sprinkle in kind of the older stuff to make sure that that people, a lot of times people bring people who haven't seen me and then they get disappointed if I don't do a bit that they liked, that they wanted them to see. So it, it's always a mismatch and a mix, but ultimately I'm, I'm lucky that my set is my set. Yeah. Makes sense. You got to leave them with the hits. You know, mu musicians can play the same hits for 40 years and keep people happy. And a comedian repeats a joke and there's always a small percentage of the of the audience. Goes, I've heard that before. I will not laugh a second time. Which yeah, exactly. If, if, if Twisted Sister brings you a new song, you're pissed. Yeah. Right. I didn't come here to hear your new stuff. I came here to rock and I want to rock and I want to hear it, you know, but with, with comics, I, I, I find with my stuff that, that, you know, I get both, right. If I give them all new material, then I have people coming to me saying, man, I brought this couple with me because I wanted them to see the Vegas joke or I wanted them to see the shopping joke or the McDonald's joke and you didn't do it. So then they get disappointed. And, and then if I do the old stuff, then you have the people that go, Hey man, what the heck? I came here for new stuff. So I try to balance it up. I, I, I try to put on the best show that I can, especially because I am a working class guy mm -hmm. and I come from a working class family. And I know that the people that have come to my show have spent their money and chose to spend it with me. So I, I try to give the very best show that I can try to be as professional as possible. I don't drink on stage because I think that's unprofessional. And I, I think that if I'm drinking, I'm not able to give the very best show uh, that I can give. So that's always my goal, be relatable, to be as funny as possible and to make people feel like they had a good night out and that they forgot about the BS, you know, and, and I don't do politics. I don't do religion uh, for that. That exact thing is that, you know, we we're trying to forget um, politics. We're trying to forget all the craziness that's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And if I can sit there for an hour and laugh with this comedian, then my money was well spent. Yeah. Now, before I throw you a bunch of compliments and ask you about the podcast and all that great stuff there, it's funny that you mentioned that about I don't drink on stage. That's not on brand. That's not the smart thing to do. Because there's an interview I taped yesterday with a musician who started up a tequila line and it's all about <laughs> promoting the tequila line. And the whole reason that all started was a bartender or two on tour told them, you know, your fans drink more tequila than anybody. And that's because the fans drink what the band drinks. And then that turned into a mini empire. So it's funny to hear that works for some entertainers and then other people wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. So respect to you for following what you believe in. And if you're ready for the compliments here. Okay. When I had the pleasure of seeking you back in November, when you had my life in quarantine, you know, newly out, you weren't the happiest guy on earth. Just about every comic that I'd spoken with around then, 
and even four or five months later was kind of going, um, I'm not working like I used to. It's hard to stay focused on material. There's no places to workshop material. Understandably, you had your livelihood taken away or largely taken away. So you, from watching you on social media, from talking to you now, you seem like you're doing much better. seems like there's no shortage of material. The work is back. It could be better, but it's it's pretty much back. So congratulations on, on that end. Plus, still doing a podcast every week since October. I am I am doing better, and 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 there has been a a adjustment within the family of oh let's get back into the routine of of me coming home, going on the road. But other than that, you know, I'm so happy to be back on stage. I'm so happy to be performing, and and I, you know, I make sure. You know, just to give you an example, I, I will be raising money this Friday for the Ronald McDonald House of South Texas. And then 5 a.m., I will be on a plane to New Jersey to do this show. Um, and I, I just I remember at some point before the pandemic, me going, oh, my gosh, and this is wearing me out. And, you know, it's not worth it and it's beating me up. And, and now I have this real sense of appreciation for the hustle. And for, you know, and, and this time I'm like, hey, I, I, I'm going to do this charity. And then I'm going to wake up in the morning, early in the morning. I'm going to fly to New Jersey. And then I'm flying out at 6 a.m. the next day. And you know what? I'm at work. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm going to go and I'm going to provide for my family. And I'm happy to do it. So there has been a new sense of appreciation. And I think, I think you can go one of two ways. And I think some people have chosen to go, oh, well, I don't want to go back. To work and I don't want to get in the car and deal with the day-to-day -day. I want to now work from home you know and, and I, I look at the opposite you know like I want it the way it was before the pandemic and I'm happy to get on that plane because I didn't say this a comedian said it or a musician said it they don't pay me to perform they don't pay me to walk right. on stage they pay me to leave my house to travel to you get know, in the air, to deal with airports and hotels and eating bad food. And that's what they're paying you for. That's the hard work. You know, the being on stage and performing in front of uh, the people of New Jersey is, is a pleasure, an honor, a privilege uh, to be on that stage. It's the, hey, guys, you do realize that I was up at 3.30 in the morning flying your way. Yeah. You know, and I had a connection in Dallas. And I had to get here and I had to Uber to the hotel and you know, all that stuff is the work part, you know, being on stage, watching people laugh. And, and, and another thing too, is one thing that has come back is I'm back to doing meet and greets. Mm -hmm. I always did a meet and greet after my shows, regardless of, of the ticket price. If you were at my show afterwards, I wanted to shake your hand. I wanted to thank you. And, and we're back to that. So I'm also very, and that was another missing piece of, of the puzzle is that yes, I went back to work, but there was no human contact and there was no human yeah. interaction. So now that I'm able and people are vaccinated, I'm, I'm able to stand out there, shake everybody's hand, thank everybody for coming out. And, you know, it's those little moments where I get that, that comment from that couple when they say, Hey, I had cancer two years ago and we watched your, your material and it helped us. You know, are we almost got a divorce and then we found you and realized that we were normal. You know, yeah. uh, my life in quarantine, for example, that special is touching a lot of couples because 
I talk about our miscarriage. You know, so when I'm off stage, I have a lot of couples going, thank you for that. You know, you, you gave us hope. You made us want to continue to try to have a kid. So it's those little moments that, that selfishly I need, and they're coming back. After you say a wonderful thing about your wife like that, it's hard to then say, so Captain Evil. Uh, <laughs> so, so you have that podcast, which, as I mentioned, it started up back in October. Most people started up podcasts because they had nothing else to do. They weren't doing their normal routine and all that. For you, is this a long-term thing that you hope to do for a long time to come? Yeah, you know what? We're, we're going to stick to it. We have so many people that, that really enjoy it and like it. And, and to be honest with you, my wife and I like it. You know, we're so busy that, you know, it is nice to sit down for that one hour a week and have a discussion with my wife, knowing that people are watching. Um, so it keeps us a little more calm so we can actually uh, very nicely argue. Um, but it has become part of our routine and, and something that, that we really like. And again, you know, it is a chronicle of my life. It is an open conversation between me and my wife and people are finding um, common ground, you know, and, and people are enjoying um, the conversation that we're having on this podcast. And I also wanted people to meet my wife. Uh, I think my wife is beautiful and talented and smart and thick skinned. And, you know, we, we had a, a message recently and they said, I found your podcast and, you know, I'm so disgusted that you call your wife Captain Evil. And, you know, that is misogynistic. And, and I very simply sent her a message back saying, who are you to tell me and my wife how we should treat each other? Yeah. You know, my, my wife has no issue with it. We enjoy it. We find it very funny and entertaining. Who are you to then tell me and my wife what, how I'm treating my wife or, or vice versa? I mean, you know, that's what's scary is we're getting to a point where, where, you know, the people think that they can take things away from you because of the way that they think or they feel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not to make it about me here, but the other day I got a really harsh comment on one of my interviews and the person was knocking a particular question or two I asked. And then you scroll down the questions and then you see people complimenting that same exact question. So it all boils down to you can't please everyone. Everyone has their own made up rules, but the people that love you really love you. The people that support you really support you and they're really who matters. So the army of Steve is a, is a growing loyal fan base. Well, and I, and I look, I remember as a kid and, and, and you're probably right around my age or if not close, but you know, when we were a kid, we would say, it's a free country. I can do what I want, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and I feel like as an adult, I'm getting to that point where I'm like, uh, this is a free country and I should be able to do what I want yeah. as long as I'm not affecting you. Yeah. You know, what happened to change the channel? What happened to, well, I don't like this guy. I don't like the way he treats his wife or calls his wife Captain Evil. Move on. Yeah. You know, but the idea that, that your opinion is so valuable, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that, oh, I better share it. And I better let him know that, that I'm so righteous that I, that I have to let you know. And it's, it's a scary place to be for comedy, for journalism, for, for freedom of speech. You know, it, it, it's very scary. And, and for me, you know, again, if you don't like what I do, move on. You know, you have the right to move on. You yeah. also, and, and by the way, what I do is art 
and art is subjective. It's yeah. all subjective. It's all opinion. I yeah. might not be the comedian for you. Go find somebody else. Go see a prop comic. No, I'm kidding. Everyone likes Carrot Top as a human being. Uh, the last thing that I, I'm curious about here is when I said music, you randomly made a reference to Twisted Sister. Does that mean I'm talking to a guy like Van Halen, Twisted Sister, and Kiss? I do. I, lo I love them all, man. And, and I am a classic rock kind of guy. And, and, and it's funny because I was thinking of, of New Jersey, and, and, and maybe that's why it came to my head. I'm very good friends with Eddie Ojeda. And Eddie Ojeda is the guitarist from Twisted, uh, from Twisted Sister, and he's yeah. right there in, in New Jersey. Um, and I just, you know, it, it, it's also one of those things where, you know, to me, Twisted Sister is one of those references that if you don't know who Twisted Sister is, you got to get off planet Earth. Outro.